Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. My name is Tom Abbott and this week I spoke to Dr. Stefan Bond from Warwick's Department of Chemistry about his work reinforcing emulsion polymers with laponite clay. You've developed this process, Stefan, that reinforces emulsion particles with clay. Can you explain to me a little bit about that process? Well, basically our interest lies in is assembling particles into bigger structures. That's the basic concept, and we call that supracolloidal chemistry. And basically what we do is similar than playing with Lego in a way. So you have a bunch of Lego blocks and you want to create a larger structure. So one of the ways to do that on a, on a, on a scale that we work at is that we use liquid-liquid uh, interfaces to assemble smaller particles around the droplet. And, uh, and one thing that, that comes to your mind then is looking at emulsions. And emulsions are very small droplets dispersed in a continuous phase. And one example of that w- would be polymer particles or latex particles dispersed in water. And uh, so we raised the question, these particles generically are, are produced by using soap in order to make the droplets really small. And then you typically end up with particles that are 50 nanometer in diameter to, you know, say, particles up to a micron. And we thought, well, can we replace soap by solid particles and in that way create a pickering system that would do a similar thing? And that was the driving force behind it. We had to select really small particles and we came across laponite clay, which is a little bit like a hockey puck, but it's a very small hockey puck. It's about one nanometer by 25 nanometer. Uh, discs, and that's what we used in the process initially. Can you explain to me a little bit about pickering emulsions? What are they? I mean, emulsions, I suppose most of us would think about paint. Well, uh, an emulsion basically, the definition of an emulsion basically is that it's it's one fluid face dispersed in another fluid face. For instance, like ma- mayonnaise would be, it, or Bailey's would be an emulsion. When you, when, you, when you look at that process, then, yeah, if you would use solid particles instead of soap to make very, very small droplets, that's basically a classical definition of a pickering emulsion. And this was discovered or initially reported by another guy called Ramsden in 1903. And a few years later, uh, a paper came out by a guy called Pickering. Uh, it was in 1907. And since then, emulsions that are stabilized by solid particles are identified as or are named pickering emulsions. So what's the impact then of taking an emulsion, replacing the soap with a laponite clay structure? Well, first of all, you can say, like, why would you want to replace soap? And there's a number of issues there. So if you look at in industry at the moment, uh, the use of low molecular weight species has to be reduced in the near future uh, because of all kinds of safety regulations and new regulations that come into place in Europe with use of chemicals. So that's one of the driving forces that you could say, well, you know, if we can just get rid of soap altogether and replace it by something that's, you know, biocompatible or that, that is that at least more custom to nature, then that would be a good thing. So that's one thing, one driving force behind it. And then the second thing is that you might get enhanced properties if you would if you replace ordinary soap molecules by something that's more hard and ceramic in this case. So laponite clay is a hard material. So in, in a way you'll end up with a hybrid type of structure. Uh, if you would polymerize a small droplet, you'll get a polymer and around it, wrapped around it, there's this clay layer. And that can give really, really interesting properties. If you, for instance, look at film formation in coatings. Traditional film formation means that you just have like, you have these polymer particles that are soft uh, above their minimum film formation temperature. And they, they all pack together in a kind of a honeycomb type of structure. And then the water evaporates and then they merge into a gather, into, you know, into each other via polymer-polymer interdiffusion. And you get an in the end, you get a nice transparent film, and that's what a typical coating is. 
obviously, there are other components in there, so there's pigments in there, and there can be some colorants in there. But the basic principle is that the latex particles are used as the glue, in a way, to to to, to film everything nicely together in a transparent layer. Well, if you, if you now think of the same system, but now you have these particles around it, initially, when you stack them all on top of each other, you already create a honeycomb type of ceramic structure. And then the question is, how much polymer interdiffusion can I get and can I make transparent films and what would my films look like and act like uh, if, if we if you look at several properties and the interesting thing is that we've been looking at for instance flame retardancy and the, in the initial experiments really show that this honeycomb structure remains intact and and that when we heat up uh, a considerable part of the polymer so so overall roughly between 30 and 40 percent of the material does not decompose up to very very high temperatures so for instance if we take a polystyrene film uh, this typically uh, degradates starts degradating at 350 degrees between 350 and 400 degrees celsius but now we see that 40 percent of the material stays stable up to over 500 degrees celsius so there's a protection barrier there and then if you would burn out all of the organic material, which is typically if you raise the temperature further, over six, 700 degrees Celsius, now we're left with a honeycomb ceramic network that's very porous, that's mesoporous, and has pores of the original latex particles, so typical 100 and 150 nanometer in diameter. And those kind of things have a very high surface area and could be potentially interesting for sensors. And uh, that's what we're looking at, those type of applications. Working with uh, laponite clay at the nano level isn't really similar to tiling my bathroom, for example. The process of applying the ceramic tiles onto the, onto the uh, polymer particles, that, that's quite a challenge. How do you actually go about doing that? That's actually quite an interesting question because what you have to think about is like, what is actually the process that these particles absorb on a liquid-liquid interface and how can I control my droplet size and uh, if you if you generically think with ordinary soap soap molecules are pretty small and can move about in water pretty fast and and therefore you can create a dynamic equilibrium so if you know if I would break a little droplet in two and there's more soap molecules there they immediately you know diffuse through the water phase and absorb quite quite quickly now if you make these things bigger like one scale bigger, for instance, the laponite clay, they can move in water as well, but they move considerably slower. So if you create your droplets, you still want to have this kind of dynamic equilibrium there. So what we actually did is that we applied the concept of creating a mini emulsion rather than a conventional emulsion. And that term terminology is a little bit awkward. But what we do is that we use a, a high shear homogenization step to create really small droplets. And we do that with ultrasound. So ultrasound is capable of breaking up um, like big oil droplets into really, really small ones. And the energy you use for that is pretty high. So locally you can create quite a high energy and therefore things can move really, really fast close to the ultrasound probe. And, and when you do that, you can create a dynamic equilibrium with, partic with particles absorbing to the interface. So in a way what you see is that if I would use more clay, I can reduce my droplet size. And, and, and we've seen that in, in the Langmuir paper that we've published that by doing that you can create a dynamic equilibrium and you can actually predict how big the oil droplets become, the monomer droplets will become before you polymerize them. Now typically with a mini emulsion Dennis in the easiest way is that once you've created your monomer droplet you convert it into a polymer particle. That's a very simplistic view but you do not generate extra particles and that that seems to hold pretty well for these type of systems. So 
the concept behind this, you have to use an, an ultrasound or you have to use an ultratorax. You have to use basically a homogenization step to generate your initial uh, droplet size. And, and these type of homogenization steps start to become more and more interesting for industry as well. Traditionally, industry has used conventional emulsion polymerization with conventional surfactants, but mini emulsion polymerization has come about since, I would say, well, really it's become interesting since the mid-1980s. And now industry is starting to pick this up and say, like, well, look, we actually want to invest in, in this homogenization step, and there's different ways of doing that. And therefore, for them, it can become a very interesting process. Traditionally, the process of manufacturing these items has, has always been on a very small scale. Is the process that you've developed capable of handling things on a much more industrial level? Yeah, these armoured structures, um, with an armoured structure, I mean that, you know, you have a, a soft polymer particle and around it you have something else. And in this case, it's the laponite clay discs. Uh, there are a number of ways that you can make these kind of things. And, and a traditional way is how people have been doing this is, is using heterocoagulation, which means that now, for instance, like my, my laponite clay disc has a negative overall charge. You can, you can have that. And then my particle is positive. And then you just precipitate and, and you use electrostatic attraction in order to, to arrange these things. And the problem with that is that you can't really work in high overall solids. So you have to work on a very, very dilute conditions. And therefore, from a, from a bulk process point of view, that's not really interesting uh, unless you're, uh, you, you use the material for a very, very high-end application and, and you can justify that you, you work on a very dilute conditions. Well, the process that we have... Um, uh, currently, with the, with the laponite clay system, we can work up to 15 to 20 percent overall solids. So that's like a considerable step higher. And we've already in the lab identified different systems not using laponite clay, where we can take these type of latexes up to 50, 60 percent overall solids. And that area then becomes really interested for industry because you know water is there as a medium to disperse the particles, but the less water you use, obviously, the better because you, know, you don't want to sell water or you don't want to store water. It's, it's, it's good there for keeping the vis overall viscosity down when you, when you generate your particles. It's good to, to use as a storage facility, but generically, you know, the higher solids your latex becomes, uh, the kind of better it is for, for industry. So what are the applications that industry would be looking at for this kind of technology? Well, um, interesting applications would be, for instance, flame retardancy is one of the th one of the issues that we're we're starting to look at now, especially because we've seen that you know the initial results on thermographic analysis show very interesting uh, very interesting properties. Another way would another thing would be like a more scratch resistant coating. Um, it's known that if you would blend in um, hard inorganic material into a polymeric coating, you, you build up scratch resistance or ab abrasion resistance. Um, so that's an interesting concept that we're going to look at. And a third thing, uh, coatings related, is that you can have a self-healing type of structure because um, some inorganics can, under very, very kind of um, humid conditions, can expand and under dry conditions can contract so you can imagine if you would have a, a cut in a certain type of material and you would put, place it on the very humid conditions it can kind of auto heal and, and and cure itself back together so those are the three things for a coating application and then if you would look at pure ceramic applications uh, you can you know, and basically just use your relatix particle as a template you can create mesoporous structures we're doing that uh, one thing is that we're starting to look at sensors um, gas sensors basically together with the engineering department so that's interesting and another, another issue would be that these mesoporous structures that have about 150 to 200 nanometer diameter honeycomb kind of morphology 
they're quite interesting for bone reconstruction. Obviously, we don't use laponite clay then, but if you would change the system to hydroxyapatite, then that would be a very interesting system, and that's uh, what we're starting to look at as well. You've indicated there, actually, that you've used laponite clay as part of this research project, but one would presume that, that there are other substances that could be used for the coating. What other kind of areas would you be looking at? Well, basically, at the moment, we use, uh, we've, we've used laponite clay because it was the, you know, the first of the shelf kind of synthetic thing that was there, and like, oh, look, you know, it's one nanometer by 25, ideal, so it might work. And, uh, and we were lucky there. Uh, obviously, you can identify other small particles that could do the same. The thing that you have to keep in mind, roughly, is that if you want to make a latex particle or a droplet of 200 nanometer in diameter, you want to have kind of particles that are, you know, 20 nanometer or smaller. Otherwise, you, you come into a, a regime that, that, cons that will get uh, geometry restrictions and it becomes a little bit more difficult in order to control particle size and do this kind of thing. So anything you can identify in that range, and there's a number of things out there, for instance, a logical one would be quantum dots, which is like very, very small, two, three nanometer, um, you know, gold or, or, or or other type of particles. Um, the thing that you then have to keep in mind is, for instance, density. And that's, you know, the density of gold is like 20. And it, so you have to use, by weight percentage, a very, very high fraction of that material, which can kind of complicate it. So we're not moving into a quantum dot type of area, but we're moving more into inorganic materials that, that are preloaded then potentially with other transition metals in collaboration with some other people. So uh, for us, that's a really interesting area to keep everything kind of sub-micrometer. Uh, um, obviously, we're also looking at bigger systems. So we've, we've got some other publications out that we use at, that we look at droplets between 10 micrometer and all, even up to a millimeter and using lots and lots of different type of particles that are then obviously a size bigger. So we use, we use basically pickering stabilizers all the way from 2, 3 nanometer all the way up to the biggest one we've used, about 10 micrometer. Uh, as a single particle to build larger structures with. And in terms of what you're building onto, I mean, you've spoken about building onto water um, and other structures. Are there limits to the kind of structures that you can actually attach the, these, the tiles to? Well, the main, the main issue is, is that the main driving force, or one of the, the biggest driving forces for particles to stick at a liquid-liquid interface is interfacial tension. So that's what you need to map. So if you have oil and water, or if you have air and water, or air and another solvent, uh, you have a certain interfacial tension difference between those two things. And if you then use a certain type of particle, you can roughly estimate or calculate how big that kind of trapping or adherence energy at that interface is. So those conditions you need to get right. So, um, and for a lot of materials, that's possible. Uh, on the workable conditions. So for instance, in the laponite clay case, that disperses really nice in water, you get pH 10, it exfoliates by itself. That's not the ideal case in order to make your pickering emulsion, because they're happy in water. So what we did in this particular case, we, we added sodium chloride in order to basically screen the charges, induce, induce a little bit of flocculation, so we're near the isoelectric point, and then it drives itself quite nicely to the interface. So with any other particle, is exactly the same rule. You want it, you want it not to be happy in one of the two continuous phases. You want to drive it to the interface. And for a range of materials and an entire range of applications, um, that's possible. So we use, you know, we use polymer particles in a polymer system. Uh, we use inorganic particles with polymers, like in this case. We even use inorganic particles with inorganics to do sol gel chemistry. So there's a large variety 
of, uh, of, of issues or a last variety of systems that you can use. And uh, we're starting to work with more and more different types of industries, which is really interesting. All the way from, you know, healthcare to the other side of the spectrum, to coatings, to lots of other different um, industries that show interest in this type of technology more generically, because the physical concepts behind it are the same and they're, they're cross-boundary. It just means, you know, what is my toolbox? What can I use? What kind of materials do I want to use for a certain application? And then you just need to tune that the stabilizers you use will go to the interface and the structures you make are interested for the particular application you're looking at. <laughs>